Hey everyone, this is Nicholas Olick and Hannah Langdell, Duke Plastic Surgery Residents with the Resident Review. Uh, today we're going to be continuing our quick hit series and we're going to be talking about rheumatoid hand, which is a interesting and you know, potentially difficult topic. Uh, we're going to break it down and, and try to go over some high yield review for our upcoming in-service. Hannah, you want to get started? Sure. Thanks, Nick. So in terms of the epidemiology, rheumatoid arthritis affects 1% of the U.S. population and is more common in women. The etiology of RA is unknown, but it's thought to be multifactorial with both genetic and particularly HLA, DR4, and environmental factors playing a role. So RA is a common inflammatory arthritis resulting from a T-cell-driven autoimmune process. And this results in an inflammatory response within the synovium and upregulation of TNF-alpha and IL-1. And this causes synovial hypertrophy, which in one example is a panis that erodes cartilage, bone, and soft tissue. So in terms of making a diagnosis of RA, you need four of the following seven symptoms. Morning joint stiffness, soft tissue swelling of three or more joints, symmetrical joint involvement, involvement of the MP, PIP, or wrist joints, rheumatoid nodules, seropositive RF, and radiographic findings. The RF is positive in 70-80% of patients, and anti-citrullinated peptide antibody, or anti-CCP, has a very high specificity for RA. We'll first go over some of the medical management, and this is typically managed by rheumatologists. We have a great partnership with them. That's how we get most of our patients. So the medical management has improved significantly in recent years with the advent of biologics. So we may see less rheumatoid hand in your clinic, but the cases that you do see are likely to be more severe. So the treatment aims for the, the treatment aims at containing chronic inflammation as well as the structural protection of the joints. And there are three general classes of medication. First are NSAIDs, and this is a treatment only. It does not alter the disease course or prevent joint destruction. The steroids, such as prednisone or methylprednisone, are used to reduce inflammation and regulate the immune system activity when NSAIDs are no longer able to control symptoms or they can be used during flares. And then lastly are DMARDs or disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs. And these are used after diagnosis of RA to reduce the structural damage early on. These drugs have anti-inflammatory effects along with structurally modifying properties. And this is used for long-lasting control of RA and have two types non-biologic like methotrexate and biologic. Uh, typically, methotrexate and other DMARDs are typically continued um, if a patient is going to surgery. However, this should be discussed with the rheumatologist. Steroids are also continued at normal preoperative dosage, and they may require a stress dose at the time of surgery if you're taking more than 5 to 10 milligrams a day or more. And then biologics may need to be held two to four weeks before and after surgery. Next, we'll go through some of the typical radiographic findings. So oftentimes you'll see joint space narrowing, marginal erosions, and then the classic deformity is ulnar translocation of the carpus and ulnar deviation of the fingers. And then surgery is recommended after failure of conservative treatment with six to 12 months of medical management. In terms of the principles for surgical intervention, the indication for surgery is pain and function is secondary. So many patients have compensated for these deformities and have minimal functional complaints. 
And then another important principle is to start with the proximal procedures before the distal. For example, you would always address the wrist deformity prior to the digits as the wrist deformity likely exacerbates the digital deformity. Nick, do you want to talk about some of the presenting hand deformities? Sounds good. Um, so we think about wrist deformities, MCP deformities, tendon involvement, and finger deformities. Um, and remember that, that a stable wrist sets the foundation for future reconstruction of the hand. So starting with the wrist, uh, the wrist is the most commonly affected joint in rheumatoid arthritis. Synovitis of the wrist weakens both the intrinsic and extrinsic wrist ligaments, which leads to deformities such as ulnar translocation of the carpus, DRUJ disruption and ulnar dislocation, and ECU tendon attenuation. This results in what we call the caput ulna deformity, um, where the ulnar head dislocates dorsally. This results in DRUJ incongruity and impaction of the distal ulna on the carpus, which as you can imagine, leads to arthritic changes and significant pain. So surgical correction of the wrist, this can be considered prophylactic or corrective. For a prophylactic procedure, uh, radiolunate arthrodesis can be performed only if the mid-carpal joint is free from disease. This stabilizes the wrist and allows better motion through the mid-carpal joint. For corrective procedures addressing the DRUJ, uh, we think about the DARA and the Suave Capange procedures. The DARA procedure involves resection of the distal ulna, and this provides pain relief from the DRUJ as the distal ulna uh, is no longer impinging on the carpus. So for an SK procedure, this involves uh, fusion of the distal radial ul ulnar joint in combination with a ulnar ostectomy just proximal to this fusion. Uh, this preserved ulnar head gives support to the carpus and prevents ulnar translocation. Finally, debilitating pain can be corrected with wrist arthrodesis versus arthroplasty. Next, let's move on to talk about the MCP joints. So the typical deformity in rheumatoid arthritis is volar subluxation of the proximal phalanges and ulnar deviation of the fingers. And this is secondary to attrition of the radial sagittal bands. It's important to remember it's the radial sagittal bands that are affected. Um, these uh, classic finding that you'll see in these patients that were commonly tested on, patients will not be able to actively extend the digits at the MCP on their own, but if you passively extend them, they're able to hold the MCPs in this position. This limitation is due to this radial sagittal band rupture and subluxation of the extensor mechanism. When they're passively corrected, this can centralize this extensor mechanism and they're able to hold an extension. Treatment for this deformity is orthodesis versus orthoplasty. Orthodesis is very rarely performed because the arc of motion of the fingers is initiated at the MCP joint. So this would be a severely functional limitation if orthodesis was performed. Um, one way to address this deformity is with a cross intrinsic transfer where the ulnar lateral band of a digit is divided and transferred to the adjacent digit radial sagittal band. Alter alternatively, you could perform just an intrinsic release. Another common finding in RA is tendon rupture. And there's two reasons for tendon rupture. The first would be abrasion of the tendon over a bony prominence. And the second would be weakening, weakening of the tendon by synovial invasion. Other tendon problems include trigger finger, and this is due to focal tenosynovitis or rheumatoid nodules within the tendon sheath itself. Um, and these patients, we do not perform an A1 release. That's the big difference to remember. Um, instead, we address this by surgically debriding the tenosynovitis and the, these nodules that may uh, be causing these symptoms. In terms of flexor tendon ruptures, FPL is the most commonly ruptured tendon. And this is secondary to wear against the volar scaphoid osteophyte, and this is called a Mannerfeldt lesion. As far as extensor tendon ruptures, this is due to extensor tenosynovitis and attrition over sharp edges caused by DRUJ and radiocarpal arthritis. 
Eccentric tendon involvement typically progresses from ulnar to radial, starting with the small finger, finger followed by the ring, long, and index. And this is termed Von Jackson syndrome. The diagnosis of a small finger EDQ rupture comes from testing the EDQ independent of the EDC. And this can be performed by extending the small finger with the other fingers held in flexion. Uh, other extensor deficits um, that you may see and that have come up in past exams is PIM syndrome. So if a patient is unable to actively extend the digits, but extensor tenodesis is intact, this can be due to PIM syndrome, which is compression of this nerve around the elbow, potentially at the radiocapitellar joint. Uh, Hannah, do you want to take it back over and talk about some finger deformities in rheumatoid arthritis? Sure. So the two most common that we think about are boutonniere deformity versus a swan neck deformity. So for a boutonniere deformity, you have PIP flexion and DIP hyperextension. And the pathology always originates at the PIP joint. So the patients present mainly with aesthetic concerns, and this typically starts as elongation of the central slip. The lateral bands will then sublux because will sublux below the axis of rotation, resulting in shortening of the retinacular ligaments. This causes flexion of the PIP and extension of the DIP from tightening of the lateral bands. And there are two different deformities, flexible or fixed. So for flexible deformities, you can use soft tissue reconstruction, including joint synovectomy, tightening of the stretched central tendon, and dorsal fixation of the lateral bands. And arthrodesis is typically favored in fixed boutonniere deformity, given that arthroplasty requires excision and removal of the collateral ligaments, thus destabilizing the joint. And swan neck deformity is the opposite, so you'll have PIP hyperextension and DIP flexion. And the pathology can originate at several different levels. So at the DIB, you can have erosion of the terminal tendon, and this is a mallet-type finger. At the PIP, you can have stretching of the volar plate or rupture of the FDS insertion, resulting in PIP hyperextension. And then at the MCP level, you can have subluxation of the joint and extensor tendon mechanism, and that can result in ulnar intrinsic tendon tightness. The surgical correction of swan neck depends on its origin, and again, if it's a flexible or a fixed deformity. So a flexible PIP joint can be treated with splinting. If you have limited PIP joint flexion with MCP extension, which is you know, the definition of intrinsic tightness, this can be treated with a splint with or without intrinsic release. And if the joint is fixed, then options include arthroplasty or arthrodesis. And finally, we'll review some thumb deformities. So the most common deformity is a boutonniere deformity in which the MCP is flexed and the IP joint is extended. And this is, or more rarely is a swan neck deformity. And treatments for a boutonniere deformity is usually MCP fusion. And first swan neck deformity is neck CMC arthroplasty or arthrodesis. And that concludes uh, all of our information for rheumatoid hand. I think a pretty interesting topic. So thanks for joining us. As a plastic surgeon with a unique vision for each patient, the more options you have at your fingertips, the better. Natrell is one of the portfolios available to you. To learn more, visit natrellsurgeon.com.